Welcome back to Single Minded. I am your host, Hannah First. We are flipping the script on being single. My co-host, Linda, is here. She's my mum. Hi, Linda. Hi, Hannah. Hi, everyone. <laughs> oh, that was, that was better. better. <laughs> Professional. relaxed. You don't need to be um. professional on this podcast. <laughs> on today's episode, I'm actually talking to a psychologist and an author. His name is Tice Lounspark, and he is a psychologist and an author, and he has a special interest in millennials and stress management. And the reason that I wanted to chat to him today was I was in a bit of a YouTube rabbit hole, and I was looking up all of this stuff on stress and working less, and I was pretty overworking and his TED talk came up and I loved the TED talk. So, I tracked him down and got him on the podcast. The reason that I wanted to talk about stress and how that's related to being single is that I was under the impression that if you didn't sort of have kids and you weren't having a family and you weren't getting married, you had to put all of your eggs into your career basket because it just felt like there was only one or the other. And so I was watching all my friends get married and have babies and I was like, I better ramp up my career to the point that I completely burnt myself out. So the reason that I think this is really related is that for anyone out there that is still single and they haven't had kids and they think, oh, I have to just go hell for leather on my career. That's not the path that I've taken. So, I kind of wanted to go through my story a little bit before we get into the interview, which is all around stress. Do you remember? Yeah. It's quite a few years ago, but you were very stressed at work. Yes. And we live close to each other. We sort of live a bit closer now, but for some reason, I'd given you a key to our place. Big mistake. (laughs) And you actually did this quite a few times. Yeah. But you would get in your car at 3am. Later, 4am. 4am. I think it was, yeah. Drive over to my place. I am absolutely dead to the world and I'm a very heavy sleeper and I'd hear, mum, mum, (laughs) mum. And I'd open my eyes wide and you'd be standing over me telling me you were having a panic attack. You absolutely scared (laughs) the shit out of me. You are lucky I didn't have a heart attack, seriously. I know. I remember doing that. So just to give a bit of background on that, I was in a pretty toxic job at that point and I basically was in fight or flight 24-7. So I couldn't get my heart rate down. I, I just felt like I was having a heart attack all day. So you thought you'd give me one instead. Yeah, exactly. I didn't want to have to suffer alone. You had to suffer with me. So <laughs> wasn't funny at the time, but we can laugh. It wasn't. Now. <laughs> so this was a few years ago. And I basically, because my stress response was so bad at that point, I completely stopped sleeping. And I remember I went to the doctor and I got some sleeping pills and which I don't really take sleeping pills, but I was beside myself. And I remember taking like a sleeping pill, it would put me to sleep. And then all of a sudden I would just have this like jolt awake and then I couldn't get back to sleep. It was absolutely horrific. And so what I would do was I would just drive around to mum and dad's house. Were you scared heading out in the middle of the night? I, I just no. wouldn't do that. No, you were fine. No, I, I was having <laughs> panic attacks like in the middle of the night. Yes. Well, thanks for transferring. I really <laughs> appreciated it. And actually, well, it, ha- it happened again more recently. We'll get onto that soon. So I ended up... And I don't really recommend this, but do you remember, mum, I was like, I I have to sleep. Like, I just have to sleep. So, instead of 
working through the stress like a normal person. I remember I sent, it was like a breakup text. I sent an email to my boss and just said, I won't be coming in for the next week and I'm also resigning. And I just sent the email off and then I slept and then I started sleeping. Well, there you go. Maybe that was the right thing to do at that time. I think that if it's a toxic work environment, that can be the right thing to do, but not everyone has that luxury that they can afford to do that. They might have kids or they might have a more so they can't actually do that. Mm. What I did want to say was that this happened again to me recently, mum. Mm. How long did I slept yes. on your couch for like a week? But at least we pre-planned it so you didn't wake me up in the night. Yes. And I have not given you a key. Yeah, I don't have a key for her place anymore. But it did happen to me more recently. Basically what had happened this time round was the role that I was in was growing faster than I could grow. Mm. I couldn't learn all these new skills at the pace that was required. And so I had the same thing happened and I stopped sleeping again. But instead of quitting this time around, what did I do, Linda? I actually, I think, advised you to talk to your boss and I said yes. that they would be completely, <laughs> <did my> therapist. <laughs> completely understanding because you work for an amazing company and that has led to some positive changes. But I just want to add one thing that it's actually not the company's fault that you are a stress head because your brain <laughs> is always in overdrive. And I want to say know. I cannot keep up with your ideas. And the other night <laughs> you were brainstorming at the end of our bed and at 12.30am I said I have to go to sleep now. But you had hyped me up so much that I couldn't go to sleep for about two hours. Seriously. It's it's definitely not the company's fault, but that is why it was my responsibility this time. Rather than quitting, it was my responsibility to tell my workplace what was going That's on. That's right. The part of my job that I couldn't keep up with, I was really honest about that. So they're getting some help with that side of the job. So it's kind of all worked out, but it was really funny. My therapist said to me, he was like, you know, you don't have to quit. You can just talk to them and tell them what's going on. And also know how your brain works and then learn to manage yes. it. That's my advice. You don't have to wear stress as a badge of honour. You can manage your stress so that you feel more calm as I do now. So we will get into the interview. I wanted to introduce Tice, and I'm really not <laughs> going to try and say your last name. Lounsbuck? No. Was that okay? Yeah, it's close enough. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> you are a Dutch psychologist, an expert in stress management, burnout, and millennials. You've written three mm -hmm. books, and I just love the titles of the books. These are obviously <laughs> the English titles, but Effing yes. Stressed, yeah. which is me, The Millennial Manifesto, and Quarter Life. Yeah. So I'd really love to start with you telling me a bit about yourself. What did you study, and what's your area of interest? Yes. So um, I trained as a psychologist. And in the beginning of my career, I did some counseling as well, some counseling within the, the mental health field, sort of like the official mental health field, but gradually figuring out that just wasn't for me. There were way too much rules and regulations and way too little in the way of actual sort of counseling or actual sort of health care to my taste. And also I was 21, so I just didn't feel ready either. So instead, I, I became a teacher at my old university, the University of Amsterdam, and I spent the rest of my time researching and writing books. 
So as you said, I, I've written a couple of books. One is called, um, can I swear on a podcast, Hannah? Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's called a fucking busy or busy <laughs> AF, which is, uh, yep. which is a title. Uh, and I've written a book, uh, a couple of books on millennials as well. So the millennial manifesto recently a book on how to manage millennials in the workplace as well oh i manage six millennials so i think i need to read that <laughs> <laughs> well time for me to get a translation ready okay so how to manage millennials <laughs> that sounds interesting and i'm currently writing a book on sort of broader mental health themes uh, like how to sort of adjust in a world that wants so much of you basically in the way of polarization social media all of those things there's a loneliness uh, epidemic going on, all of those kinds of new things that are happening in society right now that you have to sort of adjust to as an individual. So these kind of things uh, interest me. And I have a, uh, a newspaper column as well for a Dutch newspaper. Why the interest in millennials specifically? Well, um, obviously, because I am a millennial myself. Um, so I started out researching this stuff when I was just graduating. So this became an opportunity for me to delve into my own sort of psychology and graduate at the same time, which uh, yeah. seemed efficient. And after that, I sort of sort of stuck with that subject. So I've, obviously, I've, I've written a little bit broader than uh, only millennials as well, because mm. the whole stress and burnout thing is not specific to this generation. But to me, it's also a very interesting generation because there's a couple of things changed within this generation. So maybe to specify a little bit, there's some debate on when to call someone a millennial versus Gen Z. Most common sort of distinction is millennials is the group that's born between 1980 and 2000, which makes Gen Z the generation that is born between 2000 and 2020, basically. It will be very interesting to figure out what the next generation starting 2020 would be like. Obviously, we don't know a lot about them yet. I mean, I do I do from TikTok. I don't know if you go on TikTok. I feel so old on TikTok. <laughs> they have a whole yes. other way of communicating. <laughs> yes, well, this is an interesting thing. This is basically probably going to be Gen Z people on TikTok because, mm. well, the next generation is would be born at 2020, 2021. They would be one year. Mm. I don't know many one-year-olds that have a TikTok <laughs> no. account. But yeah, this is one of the things that very much interested me. So how does technology like this alter the way that we are in the world. Yeah. How is TikTok hacking our kids, for example? Mm. Are we ever going to be <laughs> able to dance without a camera on our faces? <laughs> Those kinds of things really, really interest me. The latest couple of generations there has been some changes in the way we live in the world, basically. So millennials, for example, were the first generation brought up with internet. Mm. They might remember the sound of a dial-up modem. Yep, but yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty soon, the internet was sort of ubiquitous, was, was all around. Obviously, smartphones, social media, all of those things have had an effect, I would say, on this generation. So it makes it a really interesting generation to do mm. some research into. Generally, what are millennials' attitudes towards work, life, and sort of work-life balance? And does it change as we get older? Wow, that is a big question. <laughs> I would like to sort of delve into the, the stress thing as well, but to st start off a little bit general here, 
millennials as a group are, of course, a very diverse group. So it's all the people born between 1980 and 2000, all of them, whatever their individual characteristics, whatever their sort of subgroups. So it's a big group to sort of generalize about. And one thing to sort of realize is that the differences between one generation are usually bigger than the differences between generations. So it's a broad and diverse group. So whatever I say won't be true of everybody. So I'm going to, I am going to generalize a bit, but this is all sort of broad strokes. It doesn't say anything about any individual millennial listening, for example, now. So what do we know about the millennials? Well, this is a generation that was brought up always connected to the internet. So they're known to invent new solutions to all problems via technology, via thinking out of the box. Their frame of reference was that they were brought up in prosperity mostly, but they started work or started their uh, studies right in the middle of a financial crisis. So, in other words, they were brought up with uh, high expectations of themselves and of the people around them and of their lives and what they're going to do in their lives and have had to adjust those expectations a bit, I would say. So, there's there's some disappointment about that as well, I think. Maybe sort of circumstances are a bit different in Australia, but this is generally what they're known for. So what are they like? What do we know about this group? That respect is not a given. So respect, even as a leader, you should earn respect of millennials. So it's not a power thing. It's a respect thing. So they have, as I said, high expectations of themselves and what they are going to do in the world. We know that the important milestones in their lives tended to be achieved a little bit later in life. So marriage, starting a family, finding a steady job, being able to buy a house, all of those things, those traditional markers of sort of uh, adulthood, let's say, uh, are a bit delayed until about 30 to 35. They're known for being creative in the workplace, for being a, a bit more entrepreneurial, they quickly take ownership of a project, I would say. They're brought up with the philosophy that you could become whatever you want if you'd only try your best, right? They're also, I would say, brought up mostly by, well, we, we, we started in Holland calling them curling parenting, curling parents. So curling would be the, the sports, the Olympic sports, right? With the, the thing that slided over the... Um, uh, over the ice and mm. people with brooms in front, sort of brooming away everything that would obstruct the flow of that thing. So mm -hmm. it's been said about this generation that they are brought up by people that really mostly wanted to make them happy, mostly wanted to take away problems from them, solve problems for their children, which obviously makes for mostly makes for a happy childhood, but also doesn't really cause you to be able to solve your own problems sometimes. They're sometimes seen as overly confident or even a bit narcissistic is a term that's used a lot about these people. <laughs> And sometimes <laughs> receiving criticism or receiving negative mm. feedback from, let's say, your manager or your teacher is sometimes challenging for these people. This is sort of in broad strokes, the characteristics that we know from literature. Again, 
won't all be true for all the millennials listening in, but yeah, as a group. I related to a lot of that. (laughs) (laughs) I don't take criticism well at all. I've been getting better, but when my boss wants to have a conversation with me, (laughs) I'm like, no, I don't want to have the conversation with you. (laughs) I feel like you kind of answered the next question. So I wanted to go on to stress because I feel like this is the reason I wanted to chat to you because I discovered you through a TED Talk and it was how stress is killing us. And I was like super, super stressed at the time. (laughs) I was like, watching a lot of YouTube videos. I constantly felt like I was in fight or flight and ended up with insomnia and it was pretty horrible. What happens to the brain and body during stress? Yeah. So (laughs) the thing is watching YouTube videos doesn't necessarily solve the problem, right? (laughs) I started to watch videos that were like, why you should only work 20 hours a week, why you should only work 15 hours a week. I started watching videos about van life. Mm -hmm. So like quitting your job and like buying a van, living out of a van. It was getting dark. It was getting to a point where I was like, I'm done with corporate, you know, working for like a big company. Yeah. But it worked out in the end. I didn't (laughs) buy a van. (laughs) It mostly works out in in the end. So that's good. Um, So yeah, stress. This is going to take me a couple minutes because there is a lot of things involved and I have to sort of properly sort of explain, but I'll, I'll, I'll try to be as brief as I can. So let's start by something that happened to me recently. As I said before, uh, when we, we were talking before, I was away for a couple of months. I was in Greece uh, at the time and I was in a mountain village somewhere and I was jogging. I was running along a mountain road. This is when I encountered two stray dogs. So at first, those dogs seemed friendly enough. They were wagging their tails. They came to greet me a little bit. They were crossing me in the road. And they turned back and started running a little bit with me. But within a second, I don't really know why, things changed. So the next thing I know that is that one of the dogs is attacking me. So he's bitten my leg. So the next moment that I became aware of things, I had stopped running. I was hunched over the two dogs, making as much noise as I could, screaming at the top of my lungs to make myself as dangerous for them as I could. The interesting thing for me is none of that had been a conscious decision. There was no choice involved. I just went into sort of the emergency mode. And why am I telling you this? Well, this is what happens in times of stress. This is the stress system. So the stress system is basically your body's alarm system. And it's something that happens in your body and it's something that happens in your head. And it makes you ready to deal with a dangerous or a very complex situation. So you don't choose to be stressed. You just become stressed. There's no conscious choice involved. And these dangers could be multiple things, right? Could be a dog that is biting you, could be fire in your house, could be driving on the highway and somebody you have to sort of adjust very, very quickly. Situations, in other words, that need your immediate attention. But the interesting thing is that it could also be things that we observe to be dangerous or things that are psychologically dangerous to us. Not physically dangerous, but psychologically dangerous. So it could also be deadlines, conflicts at work, 
could be working at home under conditions that are, let's say, far from ideal. That's what triggers the, the stress system as well. And to get a little bit technical here about what actually happens in the body is the following. So you encounter a stressor or a dangerous situation in your hypothalamus, which is one of your brain regions sort of in the middle of your brain. A hormone is excreted called CRF, which is a cortico-releasing factor which is a signaling hormone and which sends a signal to another part of your brain, your pituitary gland, where another hormone is excreted, adrenocorticotrope hormone, which sends a signal to your kidneys, to your adrenal glands, where two hormones are excreted that uh, you might know by name, which are adrenaline and cortisol. And under the influence of adrenaline and cortisol, a lot happens in your body. Your heart starts to race. You start to breathe more quickly. There's a lot of energy going to your arms and to your legs. Your muscles tense. You tend to be focused. You tend to be awake, aware, all of those things. So this is your body getting ready to do one of two things, to either fight or flee or to freeze, which is another one makes it even more difficult. So we're going to not spend so much time talking about that. But <laughs> this is the famous fight or flight reflex. And this actually gets you ready to sort of solve problems immediately. This is the thing that got me ready to fight the dog that was, that was attacking me. So far, so good. But with the sort of psychological pressures that we're facing now, the psychological stressors, it doesn't really help that much to either get yourself ready to run away or to fight uh, because these these deadlines or these targets or working in an environment that you don't really want to work in or having a manager that with which the relation is far from ideal let's say or your overflowing inboxes or worries about your job or your future and not getting the help that you might need all of those things aren't really helped by getting ready to fight or to run away, basically. These are the things, these are the situations that require from us that we stay rational and calm to solve them, right? So this is the first problem. There's a mismatch between those. Second problem is that you might imagine when encountering said dog that you would be done with the situation within a minute or so or within a couple of minutes and your body could sort of relax again so this is a temporary state to to solve a situation of acute stress or, or acute danger and then sort of to relax again and to recover again but the stressors that we face now sort of the psychological stressors they don't really go away that much so when you have a important job interview on Friday, you could be stressed from Monday. So in which case you are talking about something that we call chronic stress. So your body stays in the alarm mode, which is, well... I'm feeling triggered. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I, I did a lot of research on it because I didn't understand what was going on. Mm. It was like, constant my heart rate would never ever go down yes and so I actually couldn't sleep yes because my body was was always in flight or flight so I, I didn't sleep 
pretty much until I took a break off work. Yeah. So, yeah. Th so this is the thing, right? There's a negative feedback loop as well. So you are stressed, uh, which means that you sleep becomes worse when you don't get as much sleep as you need. You tend to get more stressed even, right? So it mm. builds from there. And we know that this type of chronic stress is actually quite bad for you. It makes you make unhealthy decisions. You tend to age very quickly. It drains your energy all of those things, right? So this is actually the stress that's quite bad for you. And if you take on even more stress, especially over periods of weeks or months, you tend to get into what they now call burnout stage, which is sort of uh, not being able to do the things that you were used to do because of stress, which we would call burnout. So yeah, that's the stress system. Stress is not necessarily bad. It's the thing that you do to get yourself out of dangerous situations. But when it becomes chronic, it becomes very bad for you. It becomes very unhealthy. One of the things that, for example, in these corona sort of times, one of the things that worry me is that we just took on a little bit more stress as well. We just had to cope with even more sort of stress in our lives. Not always successfully, I would mm. say. Yeah. My sort of general attitude in the, I've sort of said this already, but my attitude to burnout in the past <laughs> was basically to flee. Yes. Um, I remember I sent an email. <laughs> I hadn't slept in a few days, sent an email and I said, I'm resigning <laughs> and this is my notice. And I remember I slept really well that night <laughs> for the first time in a few weeks. That was in my 20s yeah. and going traveling was great. So nothing lost, nothing gained. And so I basically think like it's not as practical for me now to just quit my job when I get <laughs> when I get into burnout. Oh, it's not a functional strategy, let's say. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I don't think now that's probably an option at 32. Um, I've probably need to be a bit more responsible than that. But do you have any more practical solutions yeah. for stress yes. aside from making like big life decisions like that? Yes. So yeah, this is, this is the, the thing about running away is it actually helps in the short term. <laughs> it solves your problem. Oh, it solves the, totally. the short term <laughs> problem of you being in a stressful environment. Uh, unfortunately, what it doesn't do is solve your long term problem, which is the things that probably got you in the situation in the first place. Mm -hmm. But yeah, a little bit of running away or a little bit of escaping once in a while doesn't really hurt, I would say. But one of the things sort of getting out of a situation like that, I would say is, is something that you need to do is to find out what got you in that situation in the first place. It could be multiple things, right? Could be that you, your sort of your work and your free time and the things stacked up to become way too much or something. Could be that all of a sudden you had to jump in and solve a immediate problem, that you had to take care of a family member, let's say, or those things could involve stress. But it could also be something that might have a little bit to do with your characteristics or your personality traits, let's say. So we know, for example, that people that are very high in conscientiousness, i.e., that really are the hard workers, people that cannot get rest until the job is done, for example, those are the people that are a little bit more susceptible to stress and burnout, as are the people that are used to looking at the people around them to make them happy first and then think of themselves. Mm. So it could also be that, that you should sort of 
adjust some of the things that got you there in the first place, which is either to work on yourself or to just simply find another working environment in which suits you better, I would say. So this is coming out of a sort of a stress or burned out situation like that. And what I would sort of recommend you to do, look at your your own characteristics and look at the place that you are uh, working in and see if there's still a match between those two. Because if there's not, this creates problems, right? So in general, to sort of cope with the stress that we all have, and let's be honest about this, we all have certain amounts of stress. And I would say 99% of us occasionally have too high levels of stress, which is sort of one of the things about the world that we live in nowadays. So I think there's a couple of things you need to know about stress to cope well. One of them is knowing what your specific stress alarm signs are. So these are different from all people, but what I mean with stress alarm signs is these are the things that keep coming back when you are basically too busy. So what do you feel? What do you encounter? What are things that sort of pop up? So there's physical symptoms like muscle tension or headaches or uh, dizziness or loss of sex drive or frequent colds. Those kinds of things have to do with your body, physical symptoms. There's cognitive symptoms as well. So there's the inability to concentrate or seeing only the negative or worrying a lot about things or memory problems, uh, poorer decision-making skills. There's emotional symptoms so things that have to do with the way you are feeling so an inability to relax or irritability which is one of my personal stress alarm signs when i get stress one of the things that happens is i get very irritable this keeps coming back time and time again so this is one of my alarm signs there's a sense of loneliness there's moodiness all kinds of things right and there's also behavioral symptoms so procrastination a big uh, sort of sign of stress to a lot of people, isolating yourself from others, eating more or less, sleeping more or sleeping less, those kind of things, right? My thesis would be that you have to know your own stress alarm signs because they are different for each individual. But within the individual, they're mostly the same things popping up when you get too stressed. So one of the things is just to monitor yourself and to really take it very seriously when you encounter one of those stress alarm signs. So this would be strategy number one, knowing when to adjust your workload, let's say. Then second thing would be to know what sort of strategies you can use or what sort of things you can do to actually lower your immediate stress levels. And there are multiple things here. There are, let's say, a hundred different strategies that you might use. But just to name a couple, just literally adjusting your workload, canceling appointments, creating some time off for yourself, talking about this stuff with your friends or your family, walking, taking a walk in nature. Well, I know you have a lot of nature uh, in <laughs> Australia. Uh, so taking walks in nature actually really helps to lower your cholesterol, sorry, your cortisol. 
uh, and your cholesterol as well, probably. <laughs> probably both. Yeah. Probably both. Yes, uh, multiple effects there. So when you are, when you find that you worry a lot, if there's a lot in your mind, what actually really helps is just to take a sheet of paper and just start writing everything that's in your head. Just write them down. This creates a lot of space in your head. You don't have to keep reminding yourself of the things because they are on paper now, and it actually creates sort of openings to actually solve the problem or, or to work towards uh, solutions. Very, very simple, very, very effective as well. And there are all kinds of things from, let's say, yoga, mindfulness, meditation, breathing exercises that we know are just really, really practical solutions or really, really practical uh, things that you can use to actually lower your heart rate and to sort of turn back the stress systems that are activated in your body. So these are very, very simple things you can do. could be as simple as taking a minute, looking outside your window, and just adjust your breathing a little bit so that you breathe a little bit slower. It could be a mindfulness meditation exercise of a couple of minutes. These things actually really, really help. Hmm. So these are sort of the strategies that you can use to quickly lower your stress and there are some things that you can use to actually avoid yourself getting too stressed. So these would be the things that I would group under the heading of self-care. What are those things? Well, uh, to name a couple, your sleep habits. Your sleep is very important for your mental health. When you have a couple of bad nights, you just don't function as well. Research suggests that having slept poorly for a couple of nights affects your concentration in your memory and your mood in the same way as a couple of glasses of alcohol would. So sleep is very important also for your stress levels. So to be very broad, broad strokes here, for most people, that's six to eight hours every night, preferably in a structure that gets you to bed and getting up from your bed uh, roughly the same time, which is helpful to get sort of the restorative sleep that you need. Obviously, lots of things there of turning off some screens in your bedroom. <laughs> Who turns off their screen before bedtime? I know we're meant to, but like, does anyone actually do that? <laughs> do you actually do that? <laughs> well, let's say that for about 50% of the time, I managed to do that okay. because it's also okay. very relaxing to read a book instead of watching your Instagram feed. Mm-hmm. Let's be honest about that. It's, it's a challenge, right? Mm. These things are so very, addictive. very addictive that it's... Mm-hmm. It's it's really it's it's tough, but it's something that we know is really really helpful in terms mm. of your quality of sleep. So that's this is sleep. Your diet, obviously, very very important. Also determines your mental health to a large extent. To be really really brief here, a traditional quote unquote uh, diet with lots of vegetables, a substantial amount of protein, and some fats and some carbs work really really well against stress. Work as the best diet against stress. Also eating enough during the day at certain times uh, so that you just won't get hangry. <laughs> getting hangry is a real thing. Um, well, ha- hangry, getting hangry also means that you're more stressed probably and more irritated, which doesn't really help. Avoiding getting hangry avoids unnecessary stress as well. Mm-hmm. So a couple more things, exercising, of course. Make sure that you exercise at least 30 minutes a day, preferably more, but at least 30 minutes a day, which is 
good for your mental health, good for your physical health, obviously, and also has a mood improving and even an antidepressive sort of uh, working or mechanism, uh, which is really, really important. Putting yourself on a new diet so that you sort of don't get glued to live blogs or talk shows or news alerts or those kind of things. Mm. Obviously, a little bit of news is is necessary to keep you informed, but not for four or five or six hours a day. And that's just not healthy. Social interaction, really, really important, really difficult in times of COVID as well, but oh so very important for your mental mm. health and your uh, mind state. So uh, calling with the people you love, Zooming the people you love, even when you don't have anything interesting to say. And lastly, as, as we talked about just a little bit now, turning your screens off regularly, not only when you get to sleep, but also uh, at certain times in your day, make sure that you're not in front of a screen just so that you can reflect upon all of the things that have happened. Mm. So you can integrate all of this information overload that we are coping with. Take at least some breaks from screens. Amazing. Was that everything? That's a really, really good well, list. It's obviously not everything, but, but it's a lot. It all sounds very practical and a lot smarter than quitting your job. <laughs> the other thing that you touched upon was you don't have to do this stuff alone. Mm. Right. So it's actually one of the things that are, that's very crucial for your mental health, I would say, is uh, getting the help that you need to solve the problems that you're faced with. So having a work environment in which you can sort of talk to your boss or yes. to your peers or to a coach of some sorts about this stuff and getting some help is actually mm, makes yeah. all the difference. Or a therapist. Or a therapist, <laughs> obviously, yes. Or your general <laughs> practitioner. Yeah. Or there, there are multiple options that you can make use of. Awesome. Well, that is all the time that we have. Thank you so much for your time. I've really appreciated it and I've got a lot, of, lot out of it. You're welcome. It's been fun. So, Linda, what did you think? Excellent. And something that really resonated with me was that the millennials were brought up, that's <laughs> you, by people yes. who wanted to make them happy, always trying to protect them, solve their problems. That is so true and just something that came to mind. I remember when Ruby was in primary school and she got into the car after school crying and it turned out that her art teacher had pulled her up for some nonsense reason and we know it was yeah. nonsense because Ruby never did anything <laughs> wrong, seriously. And anyway, she was made an example of, she was moved to a table on her own. So she's in the car begging me not to call the school but my finger was already on speed dial. So I got put through to the art room and I gave that teacher a major serve and it's funny because in my school days, we were just left to our own devices. And if you got into trouble in class and got disciplined by a teacher, you got it double at home. So that's ah. my take on parents of millennials. We can't help it. Yes. And what did you make of screens off in the bedroom? 
Yeah, so I'm probably my worst enemy when it comes to not being able to switch off. Like last night, I write a column for Fashion Journal on dating. It's kind of related to this podcast. And I started writing it at 10 p.m., didn't finish Mm. until midnight. Oh, dear. And then I didn't get to sleep till 3. What? Yeah, well, the issue with me is that my brain just like starts to fire ideas late at night. I'm a bit of a night owl, so I can't really help that. I just want you just someone have and to I... learn how to settle down at the end of the night. The other thing that I would possibly look into is doing different hours at work. So the workplace that I'm at, you can kind of work with your manager to kind of choose the hours that work for you. So you can do eight till four, which is really common for people that want to finish up early. And I remember my boss saying he knew that I had sleep problems and he said, you know, if you want to start later, that's totally fine. But I think I like to have the afternoon to go for a walk. So I am still trying to do nine till five, but I just don't get that much sleep sometimes. So let's change topic slightly because I have found an NLH. What's an NLH? Is this something that I don't know about? It's a new local hottie. Oh, <laughs> did you come? Did you? Did you make made that, that up? up. <laughs> so certainly a new rival to our my oh my barista. And for those yes. that didn't tune into that episode, he is the one with the great teeth. So yes. last week I went into Lady T. Have you been in there? No. Okay, so that's a new Latin eatery on Swan Street. It has Latino music pumping, beautiful Latino street food, and one of the owners has a set of amazing white teeth. I was (laughs) bedazzled. So hang on. You didn't. You didn't say anything about me. I want you to go in next week and have lunch with Ruby at the bar, no takeaway, and see what you think because you didn't have a wedding ring on. And the girl okay. at the register I chatted up, she is oh, his, no. she's his brother's partner. But I couldn't quite find the right juncture to ask, is he single? So I want you to go in, find out, okay. and report okay. back to all of us. Because you only want someone with nice teeth. Oh, no, he's, he's stunning. He, he's, <laughs> he's, <laughs> he is... And NLH. If there's people listening to this right now. Feel free to send us NLHs. <laughs> For the listeners that went and told the barista at, at my, oh, my oh my, Linda was absolutely mortified because he said something to her and said, are you on a podcast? He said, are you on a podcast? And After I just we looked said at he'd him. never listened to it. We're like, oh, he'll never listen. That's right. He said, someone has sent me the recording and I just went <laughs> bright red. But the sad thing is he's been wearing a mask, but of course masks are off now. So, yes. you know, it's, it's very nice to have a look. I will say he's not the barista. He's actually the barista and no, the no. owner. Cheers to him. <laughs> Just wanted to introduce you to a new segment. It is called The Worst, The Weird and The Wonderful. People have been submitting their first date or dating stories and we've been getting the funniest responses. So this is one of my favourites because I really related to this because I don't eat mushrooms, tofu, meat, I don't eat seafood, I don't eat melon, so enjoy. And also, if you have any crazy dating stories, please email them, do a voice memo on your phone, and then email them to singlemindedpod at gmail.com. Hi, Hannah. Hi, Linda. Here's a story of my weirdest first date. 
So my background is Greek and my parents have always been at me to date a Greek guy, which of course put me right off entertaining it. But a few years ago, I matched with a Greek guy on Bumble who seemed pretty nice. He also seemed very normal. Uh, the online chat was good. So we organized to go for a drink after work. So I'm walking to the bar in the city. I was about a block away from the bar. And as I'm crossing the lights, I hear this, Hey, Liz, Liz, coming from a car. Yeah, that's my date yelling from his open window and beeping the car horn at me. I was stunned and I sort of gave this like awkward wave and luckily the lights changed and he drove off and I just continued onto the bar. So I get to the bar, 10 minutes passes, still no show from the car yeller. He messages me to let me know that he's lost and can't find the bar. So I respond, oh, there's this great thing called Google, which might give you some directions. Anyway, he finally arrives. I suggest we go straight to the bar because by this point already I'm in dire need of alcohol. Things are not looking promising. So while we're waiting for the drinks, his phone rings. He answers the call right next to me and has a five-minute chat with a soccer teammate on the phone. No apology for that. So we sit down kick off conversation and we start chatting about food. Now, I'm a huge foodie, so this is super important to me. He discloses the following. So he tells me that he hates feta cheese. In fact, the only cheese he eats, he describes as melted yellow cheese. He doesn't drink coffee. He doesn't eat any dip or any condiment. Cucumber, cabbage, potatoes and carrots are the only vegetables he eats. Now, I remember this very specifically because I was grilling him. I was like, out of everything that grows in the earth, you only eat those four vegetables. Like, those four things together are not even a salad. What the hell? Anyway, he also tells me that he only eats apples, bananas, pears, and melons, no other fruit. He says he doesn't eat curry or fur or ramen or laksa. Super controversial for me. And he only eats, now this really got me, he only eats a very specific brand of yogurt, which is imported, but when he eats it, he adds 8 to 10 spoons of sugar to each serving, which blew my mind. Now, he also tells me that he, like, things that he does eat, meat, pizza, and pasta, but as long as they don't have any of the things that he doesn't eat on them. So, obviously, I had a lot of questions. I was like, oh, well, you must have intolerances. No. Oh, so this is motivated by some sort of health-related thing? No. Is it a texture thing? No. I asked him what happens when he goes out to dinner with his mates and food is shared. And he told me that once when he was out at a restaurant, his friend placed a square of feta from the Greek salad onto his plate as a joke. And he asked the waiter for a fresh plate because there was no way he was going to eat off a plate that had touched the square of feta. So he had just decided that this was the way he was going to be. There was no changing it. And I could absolutely not deal. So safe to say there was no second date.
If you made it this far, I'm hoping that you enjoyed the podcast. If you could subscribe and leave a five-star rating and review, that would be much appreciated. It really helps other people find the podcast. Not that I'm desperate or anything. See you next week.